The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, welcome to The Cambridge Film Show. I'm Ashley Whitaker with you for the next hour alongside my excellent team of reviewers looking at the latest cinema releases and a few good streamers actually if you're an indoor cat and don't like to leave the house. So today we have for you the creator, Expendables, at least four or five, who cares at this point, Dumb Money, um, No One Will Save You, Saw X, and a really cute story about a Henry Sugar on a streaming site. But let's start by looking to the future with the creator. When the war started, they protected me. Took better care of me than humans would have. They're not people, Maya. It's just programming. Ten years ago today, the artificial intelligence created to protect us detonated a nuclear warhead in Los Angeles. This is a fight for our very existence. Sergeant Taylor, we are this close to winning the war. But the AI are developing a super weapon. Retrieve it. So we have Will leading us into this one. Looks a bit spacey and futuristic, but a little bit scary Armageddon-y. What's going on in The Creator? Okay, The Creator. Set scene. <laughs> no, basically, it's um, AI and humans facing off, um, but they believe the AI are out to destroy them. So the humans are now going to Asia, or New Asia, to actually try and destroy them with a really special machine that could actually destroy the whole of humanity. Mm. Uh, and Stuart, this is your bag, but it looks a bit sad and with child actors, which you famously hate. <laughs> is it, is it, it, it doesn't look like your action-y AI sci-fi. What's the difference here? So this has um, come from director Gareth Edwards, whose uh, sort of probably last big thing that everyone will remember would be Rogue One, uh, which absolutely succeeded in all possible ways in the box office which was unusual for a star wars film and um, star wars is, of course in my wheelhouse certainly um but this one was a standalone film not part of the trilogy and it, and it was great so this is there's a lot of pressure for gareth to deliver here i feel and i feel that he's sort of fallen short a little bit with this sort of original creation um, it's a good thing, and it's really healthy for, for the cinema industry that this is a, like a, it's not a sequel, it's unique, original content, and it, it is visually very impressive. It's got a lot of elements and visuals that people who've seen things like um, Akira, or things like, um, I was talking to Luke about this earlier, now I've forgotten it, uh, lots of anime sort of mecha themes in there. Ghost um, in the Shell. Thank you very much, Ghost in the Shell. And... Um, so that really, really comes along, and it's really strong in the visuals. However, the film does lack substance. You don't feel a great deal of connection to the characters. It's 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 great if you want to go and be sort of impressed in an IMAX screening with the visuals, but it yeah, it's it's sort of a bit weak. <laughs> so. Luke, just looking at it, having not seen it, the first thing this reminds me of is from 22 years ago, horrendous, AI with a very young Haley Joel Osman. So he's this highly advanced robotic boy, wants to become real. It's Pinocchio with robots. Is this the same story again, or are we just getting thrown by the adult-child AI link here? I would say more or less, yes. AI, AI colon, artificial intelligence 
as I believe Dash it, Pinocchio. The, the full title um, of that film um, was something that came to mind watching the creator. And um, when Stuart was saying that this film's fallen short, I was so relieved to hear him say this because this film is getting terrific reviews. Um, and I just thought, this is a bit of a Emperor's New Clothes situation. You've got Gareth Edwards is a really stylish and distinct filmmaker. And I think if you liked a film like Monster um, or Rogue One, he leans into the same use of visuals, this of this used world future um, that I think makes Rogue One a superb film. I think the imagery here is wonderful. Um, but it's so strange to see him go back to this well after the terrible time that he had on Rogue One. He was sort of very vocal about how he didn't enjoy that experience. And he sort of made a film that's got a Death Star in it. It's about going to the Death Star and blowing it up. That's the, uh, the core of the film. Um, and then it's sort of laced with this quite preposterous narrative about artificial intelligence. Um, and some reviewers have been saying, oh, isn't this so prescient with, you know, with AI dominating our, our worlds and sort of coming in? We've got, you know, ChatGPT is sort of revolutionising things and threatening to take jobs away. And we have this montage near the beginning of the film where they say, oh, the, the aliens, or sort of the aliens, they might as well be, though, um, they're sort of blown up Los Angeles because they want to take their jobs. But then... There's just not really any substance beneath that. It's the the conversation about AI is um, just very thin, and I think it's very easy to um, see something that's not really there. Will, with our view, is going against the consensus. It's getting critically well reviewed. But are you on the same boat? Did this hold any weight with you at all? Um, well, I was quite excited to watch it in the first place. But I believe the first half of the film was a little bit slow and sluggish at times. But then there is that Star Wars element to it, with, with the Death Star and the thing in the sky. Um, but I felt towards the end it became heartwarming and it was more of a, uh, a soldier out to actually find his lost love and, you know, help the world, who ends up becoming more of a father figure. So I, I felt heartwarming at the end, but... I um, don't think it deserves all the plaudits it, it's actually getting at this point in time. So there is a plot you've just described, a storyline there, Will. Um, <laughs> but, Stuart, you also weren't moved. You've got Alison Janney, John David Washington in here, these powerhouse actors with no one else I really know. Um, is it more than that kind of faux father-son tale with a little bit of Star Wars thrown in to keep you hooked? I mean, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the cast and you say powerhouse performers because... I honestly couldn't name another film these actors have been in. That could just be a me problem. I, I have a sort of very limited worldview when it comes to cinema. They are not part of the Marvel Universe. And it would help. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, I thought I thought the performances, even even if um, I wasn't particularly sold into a lot of the storyline and a lot of the character development, I think, you know, there were some interesting performances. Um, Madeline Univoyles, who's the child actor, who actually did a really good performance. She she had, she had some very visible emotions on screen and it, and, it, and it sort of tugged on the heartstrings a little bit. Not quite enough to sort of warrant carry the story uh, and the entire narrative. But uh, I think for someone of her age, she did a great job. Um, but otherwise... Yeah. <laughs> That's her... 
debut performance. Oh, um, wow. I think it's a, it's an incredibly strong performance. If only the adults in the film um, <laughs> match that. You, so John David Washington. So I'm mean, surprised you've not. He's not the talk of Hollywood at the moment. Exactly. So he was in. Um, tennis a couple of years ago. Another, uh, I didn't watch that. Another <laughs> preposterous science fiction film. Black Clansman. Um, that was bad. You know, so, oh, Black Clansman was okay. yeah, so Tenant was terrible. Yeah, Black Clansman <laughs> was his breakout role, and he was terrific in that. And since then, it's sort of he's sort of been revealed because he's the he's the son of Denzel Washington. If anyone doesn't know, yes. who's you know one of the great actors of the 20th century. Um, John David Washington does not have the range of Denzel. He sort of plays angry soldier here, just like he sort of plays angry little man in Tenet and in Beckett, sort of a very forgettable Netflix film he did a while ago. Um, it's a real shame after the promise of Black Clansman, what could have been, and obviously the promise of his parent. heritage. Is this mm. the one you all went to see in the IMAX then? I saw it. You saw it. So are we? trying to push this with paid for great critical reviews to recoup some money back in the IMAX if it's not that great. <laughs> I, I, I think I would say you know for, for its flaws with its sort of uh, story and everything and its sort of storyline go and see it in IMAX for only for the visuals because it does look amazing to its credit. And just don't listen to anything that would be good good advice do you think? <laughs> oh well it had great potential the creator um, our advice here then is see it in the IMAX if you're going to bother at all We'll move on now to something with not great potential, I would say, but let's see if The Expendables 4 kind of pulls it out the bag. <laughs> Welcome home, honey. Do you read now? What is this? It's classified. Come with you. Oh, I'm sorry. You weren't invited. situation where I need your help. I need bad friends. Is that the new guy? Is that so this looks to be the fourth iteration of a film called The Expendables. Luke, for those of us who aren't aware of this glorious franchise, could you tell us what it's about? So you may remember way back in 2010, uh, what we thought was the tail end of sort of this geriatric trend, which all these old washed That's up. That's a portmanteau, kid. Geriatrics, <laughs> action <Wash>. films. <laughs> thank, thank you for clarifying. I realise people might not have realised what I was talking about there. Um, so there's a genre of films in which you get washed up old men pretending that they're 30 years younger than they used to be. It sort of came Ooh. on the back of sort of Sylvester Stallone bringing back Rambo and bringing back Rocky. And in 2010, he made a film called The Expendables, in which he sort of brought together every action actor who he seems to have worked with in his entire career, um, including um, Jason Statham, who's sort of like the, the little boy in the, in the group. And so sort of he's become the staple alongside Sylvester Sloan, as sort of they go on these sort of throwback journeys where they go and beat up bad guys. Um, the plots of these films aren't particularly important. I didn't really follow what was happening in Expendables 4, other than um, 
Iko Uwais, I believe that's how it's pronounced, or something close to that. Um, he's stolen some nuclear detonators because, you know, those are just lying around, easy for someone to find. <laughs> and then the Expendables sort of go on a bit of a murderous rampage um, to try and bring him to justice. And justice is served. It always is. That's kind of... Spoiler alert. Will, is this your first ride out with the Expendables? No, I've seen all of them, and I think... Oh. I did it more for the action, because I think I only remember the first one. <laughs> that's, how, that's how loose on plot this last one was. Um, I think the first half an hour was just, what's going on? But then it just became p- quite predictable, and it was just not as good as the others because i was expecting more of bringing a young generation maybe you can carry this on like the fast and furious yes i know some people are sensitive about the fast and furious um his favorite franchise she's (laughs) that one away from you don't start yeah so i actually thought okay bring in some new blood you know see they can keep it going for another film or two but i think it's dead in the water good action in places but no i'm sorry so we're used to our action films being predictable there's a formula you go there to to scratch some kind of itch but i am not a big action fan i can be persuaded when there's great choreography and the best ones do do that i remember the gray man i think from last year was spectacular and the money they threw at those big set pieces is there any effort towards that in this or is it just we've got statham we've got 50 cent dolph lundgren throw megan fox in there we're going to make some money this this film cost as much as oppenheimer if you can believe it shut your mouth and Who yet, gave them that money? And yet there are action sequences in which people are clearly standing in front of a green screen. They oh. couldn't even bother to put Sylvester Stallone on set. They just have him on the on the ramp of a car, and then you sort of, it's almost like it's a 1950s film with sort of completely different background going on. It's oh, no. pr- and I mean that's somewhat forgivable but then you've got someone like Tony Jaa who's a huge mm. martial artist and the way that those action sequences they're chopped together with about 100 cuts per second it's like why why have you got a martial artist in here if you're That's you're crazy. cutting them to ribbons um, so where have we spent the money then if you've got terrible editors terrible oh, effects actors, yeah, almost certainly on the on the actors okay so well, we've got a lot of great films to talk about, and I think the next one cost a lot less money, and we have a lot more to say about it. So should we leave The Expendables for where it is? <laughs> <laughs> no final words, lads. It's terrible. Steer clear. Or is it a good time with a group of people? Um, in a similar way to Oppenheimer, this film bombed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he saved that one to last. Okay, well, that was The Expendables 4, Steer Clear. Looks rubbish. Sounds even worse. We're going to move on now to some dumb money. Yo, what up, everybody? Roaring Kitty here. I'm going to pick a stock and talk about why I think it's interesting, and that stock is GameStop. I love this guy. Retail traders have hooked into GameStop. I think they think it's a good investment. It looks like there's one guy driving all the buying. Who is this schmuck? Dumb money, man. Happy to take it. Wall Street is betting that this company is going to fail. 70,000 people have watched this video. Kitty, I love you! If he's in, I'm in. If he's in, I'm in. GameStop, those shares not stopping. No stock is only going to go up. When they hit, I'm going to buy you a mansion. Let's drink to that. Wall Street must be seeing this, right? You should probably dial in. Do you have a minute? 
I, uh, um. Babe, how much did we make today? So, dumb money based on the true story from <laughs> last year or the year before, I can't remember. And there's something going on with Wall Street and shorting stocks, which I also don't understand. Vicky, you've seen this. Could you help us, please? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so, dumb money's um, about, obviously, the GameStop uh, situation or the bubble that happened within I think so GameStop's was, a tiny little video game shop video basically. game shop yeah and uh, essentially in late 2021 it was all over the news because its stocks were going really really high and this is kind of unprecedented within the stock market um, it's about Dumb Money's about Keith Gill, who he didn't orchestrate this in any kind of way. He just was sharing his knowledge on the internet through Reddit of the stocks he was buying into. And what happened was kind of everyone that followed him and loved him um, bought the stock, made it huge. And all the hedge funders that were trying to short the stock essentially got cut. And that's a good story because yeah. the rich didn't it's a win on this. Goliath, yeah. It is. And I think uh, Paul Dano, who stars as Keith Gill in this, um, has done a really good job of bringing back like that likeness um, and kind of um, putting it on the screen in a more, uh, in a way that people can understand who maybe didn't at the time. Because it was all over the news, but quite essentially, there's a lot of words getting thrown around. And unless um, you were really into those terms on the kind of Reddit page, understanding what was happening with like Robin Hood, which is the company that everyone's buying the stocks through, it, was, it could get lost in you. And I think this film does in a quite digestible way. Stuart, at the time, did you want... You're a big Redditor, and I heard you like a video game or two. Um, so, at the time, did you understand what a huge deal this is? You know the power of Wall Street, the power of the people who look after and move all the money. That's not for us. They keep it away. These guys took it back. Did you get that at the time? So, for me personally, so as you mentioned, I play a lot of games, and I'm quite interested in the industry on a whole. So, for me, back in January 2021, we were just going into lockdown... It was a really interesting story because, um, uh, particularly, the, the, one of one of the point, things they point on in in the film is apparently allegedly GameStop was deemed to be a core business because they sold computer peripherals, um, and it was one of the few sort of businesses that could still be open. And um, your sort of brick and mortar game retailers these days have a really hard time of staying open. Um, so it was really interesting to sort of see how that was sort of in the news at the time about how these people were going out and buying stocks in in industry which to all extents and purposes was was doomed to be digitized you know you'd lose the high street and you'd go online um and these sort of few rebellious few who as they say in the film i just like the stock went on to go and inflate it via interest um and you know you hear a lot of sort of expressions thrown around in the stock market like confidence is everything confidence in the market and and confidence in these stocks caused them to go up in price and um yeah it was it was really really interesting to see and particularly one of those sort of big stories from the beginning of the pandemic as well it was quite sort of interesting to see how they filmed it in the style of how people were living their lives at the time as well so is it all i take it, it's all through computer screens then we don't no one's interacting. People are interacting. There's a lot of interaction sort of through telephones and stuff. There are mm. people sort of in dorm rooms and things. So there are people who are interacting in person on the screen um, through the scenarios where at the time where they would have been allowed to be interacting in their homes, for example, with their families. So um, there's a lot of family stories in there, which is good. Um, and, and it also sort of, really sort of brings home like 
a lot of the reused footage they used from the news and and at the time from social media at the time they used a lot of uh, footage from um, the various sort of uh, the Senate uh, hearings and things that were brought about off the back of this and it's really good use of existing media that was real there's archive footage that happened at the time and they've interweaved it almost seamlessly with the actual narrative of the film I think um, also the disparity between uh, the rich and, you know, the working man is really clear um, during COVID during this because you have Seth Rogen, you have Nick Offerman as these hedge fund capitals. It's a lot easier for some mm. of us. And they, they were just joking, you know, playing on their private tennis courts, saying how they just flew all the, the whole business to take over a resort and everything was just as normal. And then you skip to Paul Dano in, you know, his basement and he's telling, like, about his small family interactions. He's literally just interacting with his wife and how they maybe lost, they lost, he lost a family member and how pushing and present that is. And then you have America Ferreira in this, who's mm. kind of, coming back as a golden girl for Hollywood yeah. I, I adore I, I adore she this she had a big break after Ugly Betty and, and, she, yeah. and she did and now she's back from Barbie and you know, she plays Jenny she works in care and you see how oh, how this works how like the kind of faith that she's putting in this man with all this money um, that she's earned and just it's just such a quite cutting perspective of the disparity that when Seth Rogen plays a great rich bad person in this and I think I, I I really enjoyed not liking him for the full hundred minutes. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's interesting again talking about people um, so the disparity again of the wealth is is one thing that's highlighted as exactly how much of a gamble some of these sort of everyday average Joes are putting into the stock market because if this stock were to crash and they've invested sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars into have. it. It's all they have. It's their, it's their life saving. It's, 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 their, it's their, their monthly paycheck. Um, and, you know, if, if it bombs, then they are going to feel the consequences the worst. So I'm getting vibes of The Big Short, which told mm. a similarly difficult story about when they... I can't even remember what it was. They did something with subprime mortgages. That was it. Margot Robbie in a bathtub. And that's how they got it through to you. Because they're like, I know you don't know what this means. So you will listen to Margot Robbie in a bathtub. But that was very funny, mm -hmm. lighthearted, and really trying to take the mick out of the rich guys. And like, yeah. look, they were so dumb about this. And now the chickens are coming home to roost. Obviously, nothing happened to them. They're all still billionaires. Um, <laughs> <laughs> will, what's the tone on this? versus that kind of story is this still funny it's quite funny in places and obviously a disparity between the rich and the poor is clear to see and helps you relive obviously the sad times and the good times of the pandemic um, was there ever any good oh, times of the pandemic times. i do not know i sat in day drank <laughs> yes, yes we all did that <laughs> um and i think it was a great cast put together as Vicky said, um, America Ferreira, who we loved in Ugly Betty, mm. uh, Paul Dano, there was Dane DeHaan, who had a beard, which at first I, I thought, I know this guy, but I couldn't actually you know, pinpoint until... And a until little rat tail. It was oh, yeah, a little rat tail, yeah. rat -tail Small child yeah. um, Anthony Ramos, so they did actually throw oh, a good... Oh, Anthony Ramos yeah. was the most gorgeous thing in um, The Newest Star is Born. <laughs> oh, I cried. Yeah, they just put them all to... Uh, they worked well together, and I think it was... I'll compare it with Air slightly, but I think I preferred Air slightly better. As I say, instead of Margot Robin in a bathtub, we got Pete Davison in a cruising car, um, oh just gosh. completely foul-mouthed. And I, I really appreciated him as the humour for this role because he plays Keith Gill's brother, 
And he essentially is, you know, every time he's on screen, there's like a loud rap, there's, you know, a music cue. And it just, it does break you away from the kind of hard hitting uh, stress that you could be going through for these uh, normal people with all this money. And he kind of brings like the reality or things back because he's just, he is playing a comedian in a lot of his recent roles. I don't think, apart from maybe The King of Staten Island, I don't think he'll get a more serious role than that. Um, But he's playing too. I really actually. That's for himself as well. <laughs> I, I really, I think he was a good uh, comedic break from what could have been um, a really uh, stressful, on, almost uncut gems like inducing situation. Oh, oh, I'm into it now, but I'm not into the stress. But I am into <laughs> Pete Davidson de-stressing me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Luke. So Craig Gillespie, the director, proper director here, proper indie director. This is quite. When you look at the cast, you know it's going to be an indie film. He came off the back of I Tonya. He made Lars and the Real Girl, which is the most unusual touching love story I think I've ever seen. Why do you think that director would take on this story and all these big indie actors would take on this story? Because this is going to annoy quite a lot of people who give money for films to be made. Um, I'm glad that Craig Gillespie's name has avoided him up until now so Mm -hmm. far because I think this is what drew me to this project is that he's a really singular director in both subjects and style. I think this film is very similar to I, Tonya, in that it captures a sense of place and it captures quite complicated and difficult people. Um, we saw, when I first heard about this film, I was concerned that, you know, these films about an event that we remember from yeah, months ago, I mean, this story wrapped up in about 2021, they were still filming it during the pandemic. You fear that it's just going to be a like filmed version of a Wikipedia article, mm. um, but what you have here is an incredibly stylish director um, who introduces the. It's probably the most COVIDy COVID film. You're you feeling as um, as though you're sort of brought right back to that time, and I think it's quite hard to separate the pandemic from everything that happens here, um, and the use of music as well is quite um quite something there's a there's a lot of uh unbroadcastable words in some of the musical choices which gives a, a real vibrancy who is the character ken griffin then played by nick offerman another comedian actor who i love because the real guy is pushing back mm. legally not a fan of how he was portrayed in this film so essentially Nick Offerman's character Ken Griffin is the the kind of the most uh he's the man that has the most money out of the hedge funders uh, ah. so he's the one that bails Seth Rogen's hedge fund out he's the one that finances him when he essentially is bankrupt halfway through the film but the he's head all, of the baddies he's the head of the baddies and and he's essentially the one that also he funds Robin. He funded Robin Hood. I think that's the yeah the the company that um, oh. uh, in this one Sebastian Stan um, plays. Sword. Mm, exactly. So he funds Robin Hood, which essentially is where everyone is putting their stocks into. So uh, Sebastian Sebastian Stan throughout this, you know, he plays like he's a he's a billionaire. He's helping the poor people and then get the stocks that they want. And then essentially Nick Offerman gives him a little call like you need to stop this right now because uh, we're funding you and essentially that's what happened that's what happened in real time yeah. which was essentially that was the court case like how could you not buy a stock how could you not 
give it more money yeah. and uh, that's where he comes into play as the person really, that's the orchestrator of this it came down to in the news nothing yeah. was illegal nothing wall yeah. street does is illegal but they just don't want you to do it too it yeah. can only be them it can't mm-hmm. be normal people otherwise it doesn't work because they feel there's not enough money to go around i think it's important to know as well so luke mentioned it's not just uh, a, a, a dramatization of a wikipedia article it is based on the 2021 book the anti-social network by ben meserich which was in itself a sort of a a, a novel of the events that happened. So already they're working off some sort of relatively strong, um, slightly dramatically embellished um, material, um, which aids uh, the, the script of the film, I think. So It was further fictionalised from that. So <coughs> yes. It's sort of two steps removed from what actually happened, and I think that actually serves the film for the better, um, because you get strong character arcs unlike i think it has more humanity than a film like um the big short mm. um well, that really, was big and shiny and funny and yeah yeah um, the humanity is definitely present in this yeah. more than anything and i there's been some like i'd argue that there aren't many baddies and i mean ken griffin's a baddie but i think everyone else in this film has shades of gray which is what makes it such a captivating film like even the people who are investing are doing so for different reasons and you get to see a very broad range of the people that are affected by this and i think seth rogan's character is particularly interesting i think on first glance he is playing another big bad hedge fund guy (laughs) but they they go to the effort of showing him in particular in his personal life and you see him as a husband as a father um and it might be too cheesy to say that the real villain of this film is late-stage capitalism. <laughs> it, it certainly isn't Seth Rogen. Sort of, he is sort of caught up in it yes. as much as anyone else. And I think it will give you a lot to think about beyond what actually happens in the film. Yeah, so Seth, Seth Rogen's character, Gabe Plotkin, seems like a sort of millionaire. This or the analogy of a of a, a sort of a, of a turtle on top of a uh, fence post. No one is not sure how it got there, <laughs> but here it is <laughs> in the lofty heights. <laughs> I have never heard that, and I'm going to use that. I've probably got it wrong, to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> Will whether anyone's this was a huge thing, and it was buried relatively quickly in the news. I wonder why who mm. pays for the news to be chosen, um, but. <laughs> No, he's still with us. Great. Um, but do you think this story, this film will stand the test of time and keep this story present, prevalent? People will keep going back to it, remember what happened, some kind of change will be affected, or they will know that we're always looking at them? I think the little man will actually always, will, will always actually keep it relevant, but you'll always have you know, the big hedge funds trying to actually just play it down. But I reckon it will stand the test of time, and I'll watch it over and over again if I have to. Yeah, I think that I'll watch that cast over and over again because it's just, you'll see the little eye flicks and the head turns, the nuances between them. It's just so brilliantly, brilliantly cast. And Anthony Ramos, you must go back and look at his other stuff because he is uh, adorable as well as Sebastian Stan when he has his clothes on. Well, that was (laughs) dumb money, people. That was the best sounding one so far of the week, I think. That's in cinemas. I haven't been telling you, by the way. I've been doing a terrible job. The creator and Expendables and Dumb Money are all in cinemas currently. Um, We're going to move on to trailers in... Trailers? What? Streamers? In just a second. (laughs) Cambridge 105 Radio. 
On Cambridge 105 Radio, Trevor Dan presents a new programme discussing the decisions that affect our everyday lives and holds our leaders to account. It's the old uh, problem always, isn't it, with local government, in fact all government, that everybody wants better services and nobody wants to pay more money for them. I think that there's been a serious danger of Conservative governments taking this area for granted. I think I'd get in trouble if I call anybody a liar. Cam's Politics with Trevor Dan. Sunday at midday on Cambridge 105 Radio. So, it wasn't the hottest of summers. You probably didn't water the lawn or fill up the paddling pool as much as last year. But here at Cambridge Water, we still need to say a big thank you. In July and August, we asked you to can for the can. Ditch your hose for a watering can, keeping millions of litres in local streams. And you did it. Despite the soggy summer, Cambridgeshire residents still use hundreds of thousands of litres less every day. It's an amazing result. Now, with hot, sunny weather forecast for September, we're asking you to can for the cam this month too. A hose uses up to 1,000 litres an hour. Water taken from the same groundwater sources that supply local chalk streams, including the cam. Can for the cam, and you'll help protect habitats and wildlife for generations to come. And while you're doing your bit, we'll carry on doing ours, finding and fixing leaks as quickly as possible. Can for the cam, ditch the hose this September. Welcome back to Cambridge 105 Radio. You're listening to the Cambridge Film Show with me, Ashley Whitaker. I did not introduce my brilliant reviewers at the beginning, and that was my fault. I'm sorry. I love you all. Uh, on keys and reviewing, today we have Stuart. Hello. And Emily. Hello. And Vicky. Hello. And Luke. Hello. And finally, Will. Hello. We have taken you through the big cinema releases of the last week or so with the creator, Expendables 4 and Dumb Money. We're moving now on to some stuff you can stream from home so you don't have to leave the house or talk to anyone else. First up, we have the wonderful story of a man named Henry Sugar. Good evening, Mr. Sugar. Said the man behind the desk whose job it was to never forget a face. Henry Sugar was 41 years old unmarried and rich. Strange. The following is what Henry read in the Little Blue Exercise book. Gentlemen, I'm a man who can see without using his eyes. He saw it, I cried. He saw that trolley. This is absolutely unbelievable. I was flabbergasted. This is a terrific piece of information. Streaming now on Netflix, it's a brand new short film by director Wes Anderson. Vicky, what has this weird and wonderful director shown us this time? So he's chosen uh, to go into the Roald Dahl uh, multiverse of books and he's portraying, um, the, he's showing us the story of Henry Sugar. Um, when I was a kid and I was Roald Dahl obsessed, I accidentally p picked up this book thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get the twits or something of Fantastic Mr. <laughs> Fox. Uh, but instead I got... Uh, Henry Sugar, which is the more, I would say, ad adult version of Roald Dahl books. It's probably a more later teen stage. And it's uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is playing Henry Sugar. And it's a man who learns to see without using his eyes um, through a book that he's stolen, which tells the original story of the man that can see with no eyes. And with that, um, you get a kind of saviour, not a saviour, but a man that 
looks back on his ways um, of being rich, of being, you know, um, not really adjusted to society and choosing to engage and become, with this new power he's discovered, having played out, got loads of gambling money and decided to use his, his money for good. Nice segue then from Dumb Money, which we just mm. um, reviewed that's in the cinemas now. Amelie is a short film. It is a Wes Anderson film. It is a Roald Dahl book. There are some great actors in it. But did you believe in the characters? Were you affected by them? Or was it just kind of a nice little twee Anderson vehicle for you to whip through in 35 minutes? Um, I mean, it feels a lot like theatre. There's um, kind of moving sets. Um, there's kind of the the... Wes Anderson colour palette that we all know and love um, I wondered at the start if Benedict Cumberbatch would really fit into the Wes Anderson universe but he does it brilliantly and um, you kind of see his character go on this journey uh, throughout the, f even though it's only 40 minutes long you get a brilliant character journey um, honestly yeah I did feel like I connected to him so in. it's a proper film, even though it is only yeah. 40 minutes, you're sat in your lounge, it's a wonderful wild ride. Did you follow Luke, all the different characters coming in and out? I feel like he did a good job, but for, for only 40 minutes, you've, you've got six, five big players in this, really. You've got Ralph Fiennes, who's, who's voicing the thing, Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, Ben Kingsley, Richard Iowadi. These are all huge characters and actors and voices to be playing around in your head in a short space of time. I think that's what makes this such a fun film. So Amelie has sort of picked up on this sort of having a theatrical style and it goes beyond the the colour palette to the cast because you have basically six characters playing various different characters within each story, sort of like a, a troupe. Um... And you see these big-name actors putting themselves and their personas aside in classic Wes Anderson fashion to become part of the bigger image. Um, I think everyone in it is wonderful. Um, it's a real yarn, I think is probably the best word to use to describe the story. There's, it's light and it's breezy um, and irreverent. Um, I'm not really sure it has a ton to really say. Like, even though it has this Christmas Carol type message, I'm not sure how much it even believes it in itself so much as it's just a fun for... It feels a lot longer than 40 minutes because of its pacing. Um, yeah, it did for me, but in, in a good way. Mm. I think it is back to that theatrical thing Amelie was saying. Like, they do pull you through, and you said the story, he spins a yarn, mm. and he pulls you through all these set pieces. He literally collapses them down and then builds them back up. Oh, we're back in the hospital. We're back in this hotel room somewhere now. And that was nice and kind of arts and craftsy handmade to me, and that's that's the Wes Anderson that I love. It was a perfect 40-minute um, morning kind of autumn watch. I had a cup of tea. I was well settled, and, and you know, I uh, famously went on the air earlier this year and kind of uh, put his newest asteroid city into the dirt only because I, I, I love him so much um, but with this he has brought me back around and I think especially you know, this is Dev Patel's first Wes Anderson film and he and Richard Iodi are such Perfect. like they're so Wes Anderson coded they're like you know they Dev Patel All the kids came. Are saying coded, by the way. Now yeah. that's what she means. <laughs> she means underlying flavors of. <laughs> Thank you, Ash. <laughs> uh, essentially, uh, uh, Dev. You know, he's came from. Uh, 
David Copperfield. No, David Copperfield, early in the year, which was essentially the same kind of role. Um, It's, you know, it's the kind of English uh, dry sense of humour, but a really well told story with great theatrical sets. And I think that has put him in this position now. And I love him. I love him in this. And I can't believe also this is the first uh, use of Richard Iodi because they work so well together. It's just, it's almost, it was meant to be like hand in hand. And lovely Ben Kingsley just kind of fades just enough into the background, but then, yeah, sits and tells narrates a brilliant part of the story in the middle I was going to come to you I can't remember Luke what you said about it or Amelie if you've seen it but the last Wes Anderson big cinema release Asteroid City and I remember even before that the French Dispatch people were kind of feeling like he was jumping the shark a little bit and it's like you can't just keep doing this you've got to tell a story you can't just keep painting everything pistachio green and baby pink and putting kooky actors on the screen what did you think of his last two do you think this is a return to form as well Emily? I haven't seen Asteroid City. This feels like a show and also tell way of filmmaking. He kind of, with the narration, it's a really great um, addition to the film. And you kind of want to follow these characters. You want to uh, see them progress. And yeah, rather than just relying on his, on simply his aesthetic, this feels like he's going back to the filmmaking that we love from, like, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Excellent. I think I think this is closer to Grand Budapest than most of the things he's made. I did love um, Asteroid City, um, and I, it does have... It does feel like a companion piece to this in some ways. Like, whereas I, he's always been interested in the art of storytelling rather than the stories themselves. And that's sort of become increasingly arch in a way that, as we've mentioned, people get frustrated by... Um, and the the thing that um, Henry Sugar has in common with this is that the film begins with the person who's telling the story. In this case, it's Ray Fiennes playing Roald Dahl, talking about how he wrote a story, and it, that's used as a framing device, the same framing device that's used in Grand Budapest. And your your patience with that, I mean, it's as far as you know. Your, you know, other opinions are available, as people say, and your preferences um, to that level of patience with with um, was Addison. I think if you found some of his other films frustrating, this will be just as frustrating. Um, you don't have to sit through it for as long, I suppose. Yes, mm. yes, 37 minutes. Yeah. And it's also a certificate PG, and th- there are deep stories to be told here, but like someone said at the beginning, it is basically a Christmas carol story. Mm. It's easy enough to understand, and there's lots of funny men in funny costumes doing funny things, and the sets are moving quickly, so older kids, I think, would sit and watch this on Netflix with you. And yeah, Vicky had it right. It's a lovely, autumnal, cosy, homely watch, and I loved it. So definitely try out um, The Wonderful World of Henry Sugar. Is it called The Wonderful World? And am I just making that up? Okay. The Henry Sugar film on Netflix by Wes Anderson, The Wonderful Story of um, Certificate PG on Netflix now. We're going to take a slightly scarier turn next and we're going to go into a kind of otherworldly horror with No One Will Save You.
So No One Will Save You is a very tricky trailer to play um, on the radio, which I'm sure we'll get into in a second. But before we do get into what we thought about it, Luke, tell us what this um, straight-to-streaming film is about. Yeah, as you can tell from that trailer, um, it's a quite tricky tricky film with uh, not a lot of dialogue going on. So you have uh, Caitlin Deaver plays a young woman called Bryn. Brilliant actress from Booksmart. Indeed. And she was in a TV show called Unbelievable. Is that what it was called? Anyway, as for this film, um, so she plays a a young woman who lives alone, sort of lives a quite lonely but not necessarily sad life in a a cottage where, where she does things like makes her own uh, clothes and she's off building this little model village. Um, But curiously, the people in the town seem to all shun her. No one will speak to her. Um, And then about five minutes into the film, some aliens invade, um, which is an interesting choice. I think um, normally you're expecting, when you're expecting an alien invasion film, you're waiting for that to, to come a little bit later in the film. But I think that's testament so that this isn't a typical alien invasion film it's more about atmosphere and um, there's lots of grief going on and trauma um and it's it's sort of an atmospheric piece so vicky i only watched this last night Mm -hmm. (laughs) am i right in thinking it's one huge whole extended metaphor it doesn't matter that the aliens are there what did you think what did you take from it? Um, right. <laughs> let's so, get into it. Let's get into it. So obviously, um, Caitlin Diva, yeah, like Luke said, um, it's a, it's an interesting piece. Uh, she's living at home in a cosy little life, incredible set decor as well. But I almost think that this is the perf- it was the perfectly set up way of an alien film. You know, you've got like the corn, the corn messages on the lawn. You've got the small town kind reminded of reminded me so much of signs. Literally, I was it's just thinking signs, and then essentially, obviously, there's only one line of dialogue throughout this whole film. For anyone that's going into it, you know, it's a great Amazon Prime watch for an evening. But I didn't notice that. You don't notice it at all. Um, you have her playing she's full of anxiety you know she's did something wrong as a child the town has shunned her and that kind of small town vibe it really makes it present how ostracized from society she really is and it's all done through facial expressions and in the way that you you don't even notice the dialogue's missing because it, the hostility is so present as it is within small towns so when the aliens come it's almost a breakaway from that kind of nightmare on its own and then she becomes this incredible final girl for the first half of the film. Vicky and I are obsessed with Final Girls. We love a Final Girl. It's a horror movie trope yeah. <laughs> that everyone always thinks that the huge jacked guy is going to survive the killer. There's always a Final Girl and she outsmarts him. She she outsmarts him, you know, you feel sympathy because, you know, the town hate her, but here she is killing off all these aliens on the first go. You know, she's got her boiling pans of water. It's great. It's a great setting. Um, the kills are very enjoyable to watch <laughs> for these unfortunate aliens. And, you know, um, you have a really good pace and then the film hits a plateau and you go into the mind essentially you know the aliens start invading her mind uh, you go into the grief factor and it's it becomes a different kind of film altogether not that i hated it i just was having so much fun with the first half that it kind of took me in a direction i didn't think i was going to go and the film that she spun itself on its head i've also changed my mind about the ending and whether it was mean or nice but luke when you see 
So we talked about signs there. Um, M. Night Shyamalan famously hides everything from you. That's where the fear comes in. This, it's revealed right up front. And you win people and you lose them when you show the alien, when you show the spaceships. It can look a bit tacky. It can look a bit kitschy. Did it keep you interested yeah. once we saw them? I think this is deliberately kitsch. It has a real throwback style to it. And it's a really low budget production. So you not expecting, you know, don't expect the superb high budget of the aliens that you might see in a film like Indiana Jones, because, you know, that shows that shows what you can do with a huge budget. Um, there are some really neat little touches going on. Like, there's a there's people's throats. There's some, I don't, that, don't want to be yeah. too, I, too I descriptive sure on either. daytime radio, but that yeah. is really well executed in a very unsettling manner. Mm. Um, I don't know how much is they rely on CG. I mean, obviously, the aliens mm. themselves are very um, animated. Yeah. But it feels quite practical and tactile, and it's not too ambitious with what it's trying to do. The scale remains quite low to its credit. I really want to squeeze in one more horror film before the end of the show, but I want to ask one final question without any spoilers because I've just changed my mind in the last um, couple minutes. I only watched this yesterday. The end, I thought what they did with her at the end was mm. very sweet and kind. I thought but I actually, too. I think it might be a torture, like a, a limbo forever torture type thing. I think she's happy with that. Yeah. Um, essentially, obviously, the aliens are go into her mind, see things that she's suffered through and you go on the journey and it kind of gives you a good conclusion. You get the first line of dialogue and the last. And then the ending part, she's kind of uh, put back down, I would say, to her town. Mm -hmm. and But she's the only one that's left, essentially, because the rest of them are all being taken mm -hmm. over. And she gets the life that she wants. And I think she, mm -hmm. she likes the homebody life. This is what she wanted, but she now she has more complying characters uh, to do it with her and you could see it as a sense of torture but I think she she was happy <laughs> yeah I think it will leave it open for you to decide this one is a Disney plus um original actually it's I got I saw it on Disney plus yes it's also correct. showing on Hulu yeah. yeah um and it's showing as PG-13 to me I think it's more likely a 15 than a well it might be a 12a actually there's nothing that bad um I would give it a go. It's unusual. I wasn't going to try this, but then Vicky was texting us last night saying, you got to give this a go. It's odd. It's a nice kind of autumnal one to ease you into spooky season. There's a lot of heart and a lot of questions. It's not your usual kind of horror alien film. Give No One Will Save You on Disney Plus a go. I really wanted to squeeze this next film in. We've only had Amelie see this. Reason being because I need a babysitter to go see it and no one will come with me. So we're going to do a couple minutes on the latest in the Saw franchise as we head into spooky season. This is Saw X. I'm scared. I'm scared. The cancer is still spreading. I'm afraid there's nothing else we can do. There is one person who might be able to help. Our program is a two-pronged treatment outside Mexico City. The results have been stunning. She saved my life. You're in very good hands with us. After that, what happens then? Your whole life happens then. John Kramer. According to these scans, the tumor was never removed. How much time do I have? Months, at best. I still have a lot of work that needs to be done. 
also one of my favourite horror franchises. I know Vicky's obsessed with it as well, but we like horrible horror films. The Saw films have been going for a good 15 years now, I think. But, Emily, you did you go to this on your own? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh my Will you tell us what it's about? Because this isn't... We're not linear here now. We've gone no. back in time, yeah? Yeah, so this is set between Saw 1 and Saw 2. Um, and it's kind of essentially putting Jigsaw in the main character seat. It's a look at his battle with cancer, which we realise uh, late in the first Saw movie, I think. Yeah. Um, so Jigsaw's the guy behind all the horrible... Yes. This is a scary film, by the way, so if you're listening in the car or anything, behind all the horrible tortures that he comes up with to punish people he feels don't deserve their lives. Yes, yeah. or who need to uh, kind of make a choice and decide right. whether they value their lives. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot slower and I feel like a lot more mature than the other Saw movies. It was it's, getting a bit silly there, wasn't it, for, yeah, for a while? Yeah, I think the last three just haven't been great. Um, the, but this, What was that last one that was terrible? Spiral. Spiral. Oh, from, from the Book of Saw. Oh. I cannot wait. To, <laughs> I cannot wait how that extends in the <laughs> Saw universe. I think that this franchise really thrives in the 2000s uh, timeline and any more sequels they make need to continue in the 2000s timeline um it's a lot yeah it's a lot slower uh there's a lot more character development in terms of uh like kind of discovering why john feels this way so strongly about the saw trap victims um and you see a lot of his emotion and how and why he feels like they really do deserve what he's doing to them um, and Tobin Bell is just a brilliant actor, and it, I feel like his performance is really understated in this film. But you you get a lot from him. Are we allowed to say, or would it be a spoiler? There's another character from the 2000s films that comes back. That's not a spoiler. I think okay. she's in the trailer. Okay, yeah. Good. yeah. So Shawnee Smith playing Amanda Young, who was his pro- who was um, his protege in the second film second or something film, they all blur yeah. in so she is back are you allowed to say why um no <laughs> possibly possibly um, not. I think it's a spoiler if you haven't seen the second one okay um, well that, that was 10 right, yeah. years ago it's too late she now. um basically he recruits her after she survives her saw trap her judgment mm-hmm. um and she comes back to become his apprentice um in this one well, I've I've kind of said that she delivers the blood curdling screams in a very blood curdling scream heavy movie. <laughs> um, her performance is She's very different to Tobin's, like, but she does brilliantly, and I've I've been really glad to see her back. Excellent, Vicky. This mm. isn't your favourite horror franchise, is it? Do you like it just because it's trashy? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. When you're a teenage girl and you need to put on a horror film, um, you don't go to, you know, The Shining. You go to you go to this. The slasher so you, flicks. You go to the, the gore. You want to get all those screams out. And Saw turned, like, it turned teenage me on its head. I was, I was so... That twist at the end is one of the best twists I've ever seen in a like a fran- to start off a franchise that way. Wild. I was genuinely gobsmacked, and you know I thought we had ended the saws. I thought you know with Jigsaw you went back to all the way to the beginning, and then you've got you know we trapped to that spiral rubbish. Exactly. Yeah, and then I, I was I was okay with Chris Rock. I had a great time watching that unfold. You I know didn't. I thought it went real Hollywood budget back into it, but if we're going back, I'll come with it. I'll go along. I'm excited to watch this in the cinema, and I'm very proud. Of you to watch it on your own. <laughs> she promised me I'll be fine. The jump scares aren't the bad things, but the torture the, bits the, are horrid. The traps are 
brilliant, so gory, horrible. Um, I think the eyeball trap from the poster oh, I'm not it's gonna to become one of the most iconic traps in the franchise but kudos to you for being the only person to see this because we are well into spooky season we're gonna be back on October the 14th with the Cambridge Film Festival we're gonna have to talk a lot about but then hopefully there's some um, more scary films we can stick on the next show but that was Saw I'm guessing that's an 18 it's gotta be one more thing there is a mid credit scene so stay for that Oh, stay to the end if you brave saw. But thank you to all of my reviewers. Um, I'm going to play you out with a little bit of ABBA in honour of Dumb Money, which I think, was that everyone's kind of favourite? Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah, we'll go for that. Also, they don't play this at ABBA Voyage, which I went to, and I'm very annoyed. Um, but thank you so much to Stuart, Amelie, Vicky, Luke and Will for a brilliant show. We're back October the 14th. If you missed any of this, head to 105 uk, I'm guessing um, and have a look at the what's it called podcast I've been really bad this week I'm sorry kids um, thanks for coming along with us and listening to the Cambridge Film Show listen to a 10 seconds of ABBA then it's the news Cambridge 105 Radio